Well, good evening to everybody. Wishing all of you a blessed Sabbath and hope all of you had a wonderful week and do share your praises. We'd love to hear from you all. And uh, just wishing everybody a happy Chinese New Year out there as well. That is my praise for this week. I was able to take some time off um, to spend time with family and uh, just praise God that also my dad, who's been sick for a few weeks, seems like he's on the mend and God is good. You know, we don't realize how important health is to us until we lose it, isn't it? So we got to praise God for all the good blessings, the protection, the safety, the health, the strength that he gives us each and every week. So friends, please do share your praises, do share your blessings from the past week and uh, would love to hear from all of you. Well, we are going to get into our study for this evening. We are continuing our series on the Mount of Blessing. And so before we do that, just want to invite all of you to bow your heads with me as we pray together. Come, let's bow our heads and pray, shall we? Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for seeing us safely through another week. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of health and strength. And Lord, as we're about to study what it means to be the salt of the earth, I just pray that you would give us discernment and wisdom and understanding, that you would bless us with your spirit, that he might guide us and lead us into all truth. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you have heard already, we are going to be studying about the salt of the earth. It's the very next verse after the Beatitudes, which we already studied last week. So let's get into it by starting with that key text found there in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. That's Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. The Bible says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden underfoot of men. So friends, what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? That's what we're going to be looking at this evening. Well, let's start by looking at first what salt is used for. We know that it adds flavor. It gives taste to food, right? But in the Bible, what do we see salt used for practically, physically? And so let's go to a few texts here. Let's start by going to Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20 to 21. So we know that salt is used as a savor. That's what it said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. But here in verse 20 and 21 of Genesis 8, the Bible says, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and, offering burnt, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. Do you see that? That word sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing as I have done. And so when Noah came out of the ark after the flood, he went and offered a sacrifice of all the clean animals that was brought with him on the ark there. And the Bible says that this was a sweet savor to the Lord, just as salt is a savor. We're looking at that word savor first. So God accepted his offering and his sacrifice. It was a sweet savor. Let's look at another text here in Exodus 29 and verse 25. 
and thou shalt receive them of their hands, and burn them upon the altar for a burnt offering, for a sweet savour before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And so once again, we see sacrifice mentioned here as well, a burnt offering, and it was a offering of consecration. This was a sweet savour to the Lord. And then one more text in regards to savour, Ezra chapter 6 verse 10, that they may offer sacrifices of sweet savours unto the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and of his sons. And this is when King Artaxerxes allowed the children of Israel to go back and start rebuilding Jerusalem and the temple there and to set governors so that they could um, govern themselves once again. And in so doing, he allowed them also to make sacrifices again to God as a sweet savor. So we see this savor, the sweet savor, they're accepted by God and they always seem to be connected with what? Sacrifices and offerings. Keep this in mind as we keep studying about what it means to be the salt of the earth. So we see sacrifice and offerings mentioned here. But how about literal, physical salt? How do we see salt used in the Bible? Let's go over to Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 13. The Bible says this, And every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. So salt was also used in what? The offerings, the sacrifices. So not only were the sacrifices offered to God as a sweet savor, but salt itself was actually put in or rubbed in to these offerings. So once again, we see sacrifices connected very much with salt and savor, okay? The word sacrifice, the activity, sacrifices, and offerings. And how is that relevant to us today? Because you see, God wants us to be the salt of the earth. Where do we see God using sacrifices in relation to us? Let's go over to our next text here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Familiar text, the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God here calls us to be living sacrifice. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? It means to be holy and acceptable to God. But how can we be holy and acceptable to God? Because if salt is connected with sacrifice, and sacrifices are like sweet savors to God, and He wants us to be the salt of the earth, He wants us to be a living sacrifice. But in order for us to be that, we got to be holy and acceptable. But how? Let's keep reading in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
So how can we be holy and acceptable to God? The Bible says there in verse 2 that we got to make sure we're not conformed to this world, that we're not like this world at all. You see, friends, in becoming like this world, in fashioning our lives, our tastes, our habits, our desires like the world, we become salt, like salt, that has lost its savor. We have the form of salt, we have the form of a Christian, but we've lost our saltiness. Do you see that? We don't have any effect on the world in any positive way because we're just like the rest of the world. If we want to make an impact in the world, we got to have flavor, savor. We got to be different. That's what salt is supposed to give. It's meant to add that flavor. And the way a Christian gives good flavor to the world is to be different, not the same. I mean, if everybody is salt and you add salt to it, of course, if you add salt to salty food already, it'll be uh, it'll be horrible, make it worse, right? But you see, the world is not flavored with good salt at all. And so we got to be different. We can't be conformed to this world. And it's not that we have to dress totally differently or be weird in such a way that would raise eyebrows like, who are these people, right? But there must be some sort of clear distinction between the world and the church, between the world and the Christian in our character and in how we live our lives. There's got to be some sort of distinction, difference, separation. And not to say that we've got to separate ourselves so much that you stay on that side and I'm going to stay on this side. No, salt is added to food. Salt is added to give that flavor. And so we got to be different so that we can be that blessing to the rest of the world that's out there. And so, you know, that sounds very much like sanctification. God, He wants us to be sanctified. He, he wants us to be separated for a holy use, different from the rest of the world. Just like how God sanctified the seventh day, what we come to know as the Sabbath. It, it was different from all the other days, but it was still one of the days, and it's still one of the days that make up our seven-day week cycle, right? It was different. He wanted to sanctify that day and set it apart that we rest on that day in the same way He wants to sanctify us. He wants us to be different. He wants us to be a blessing to the rest of the earth to be the salt of the earth. But how can we ensure that our lives are different and distinct? In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, just to, to recap again, it says here what? That we must be renewed or transformed by how? The renewing of our minds. The transformation must take place first here in our minds, in our hearts. It's an internal change that must take place. Why? You try to change someone externally without them believing it, without them wanting it, without them desiring it, it will be a short-term change. And you know, many Christians were like this. We change just for a moment, just for a little while. But in here, we're not changed, but it's because the circumstances have changed that we got to do this, or we got to do that. But how can we make sure, how can we ensure that our minds and our hearts are the thing that is changing first? Ephesians describes it this way. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, the Bible says this, 
that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Do you see that? In order to be a new man, what did Ephesians say here? That we got to put off our former conversation. That word conversation is not what I'm talking about. You know, I'm having a conversation with you. It is my conduct of life. The old man, that old life must be put away first. We must be willing to surrender that old life that we have been living before. So surrender us first, but then we must be renewed where? In our minds and let God create that new man or that new woman, which is after him in the likeness of true righteousness and true holiness. But friends, how can we have our minds renewed? How can we allow God to change our mind, change our heart's desires, that the things that we used to do, we don't want to do anymore, and the things that we never liked to do and never desired to do, we, we all of a sudden, and it's not, I guess, not all of a sudden, but those impulses are good impulses. Where does it come from? How does God change and affect our minds to renovate it, to make it different? Well, Psalms 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We must allow God to create a new heart in each and every one of us. And how did God create everything at the very beginning? He used His Word. By the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of His mouth. And so if we wish to have a new mind, if we want to have a transformed heart and, and eventually a new person in Christ, you know, we, and, and really a, a different life to make this positive impact in the world, we must have an interaction with God's Word. We got to. You see, the salt that has lost its savor is a Christian that goes to church every week but has never had an encounter with Jesus in His Word. There are many Christians like that that live like the people of the world to the extent that you'd be shocked that they even profess that they are Christians at all, right? So many times, and I've lived like this before. I, I talk like the world, I dress like the world, I eat like the world, everything. No one can tell the difference between the Christian and the world. What is it, friends, that makes you different from the rest of the friends around you in your workplace or in your school? How are you different? Are you different? Or do you curse just like how they curse? Do you speak lies just like how they speak lies? There must be a distinction, a difference. Otherwise, we are salt that has lost its savor. Do you see that, friends? You see, Corinthians puts it this way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If Christ is in us, the Bible says we will become a new creature. Old things are all passed away. That old person is gone and we become a new person in Christ 
Jesus. You know, this experience sounds like born again experience. When a person is born again, we are also a new creature as well, a new person. We get a new start with new thoughts and new desires and new motivation for living. But you see, the key is what? We have to be in Christ. That's what it says here in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man is in Christ, only then he becomes a new creature. We got to be in Christ and Christ must be in us. But you see, the reason why 2 Corinthians says that we must be in Christ is because Christ is always willing to be in us. He's always ready. He's always just sitting there waiting for us to be open and to be willing. The problem is not Him. It's our side of the equation, whether we want Him in our lives or not. You see, Christ, He has demonstrated throughout His whole life as He lived on this earth and up to the point of the cross that He was ready. He was waiting. He sent us His Holy Spirit after, after He ascended to heaven. He's always ready and willing. And Christ is that living Word. In John 1, 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word would become flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so Jesus, He's already come to us. He's already done all that He can do, do to save us. The question remains is whether we want Him in our lives or not. And the only way to answer that is, is not whether you go to church or not. Friends, it's whether you're spending time in God's Word or not. Whether you're spending time in prayer or not. Or as the Beatitudes say, whether we realize our need of Him or whether we're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Christ, He is always ready. All you have to do is say the Word. Jesus, please, I surrender. Come into my heart and life today. He's ready, but He's always waiting for you and for me. And that's, that's always the difficult side of this equation, isn't it? Whether we want Christ in our life or not. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And friends, that transformation that must take place, not just for us to be saved, but so that we can be a blessing to the world, to be the salt of the earth. You see, these decisions that we make is not just, oh, okay, I've got to do this in order to be saved. No, we've got to do this if we want to be a blessing. If you want to see others saved into the kingdom of God as well. And, you know, friends, really, it's not like, oh, you've got to save others and that's how you're saved, you know, you bring another person and then I'll let you into heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, if you truly have me in your heart, you will search and seek for, save, for those that are lost and to try to save them into the kingdom of heaven. That is one of the fruits of what it means to be a Christian. That is one of the fruits of being the salt of the earth. It's not just living for ourselves. It's sacrificing our own savor and letting that saltiness dissipate throughout the whole food or whatever it is that we're adding to it, right? And so really, after our heart is changed, after Jesus has come into our hearts, after we are in Christ, what changes on the outside? How can we know if we are actually experiencing 
what it means to be the salt of the earth. You know, how can we know that we are being the salt of the earth? What, what, what sort of influence should we have? Well, Mark chapter 9, verse 49 and 50 says this, For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Friends, if we are the salt of the earth, the Bible tells us that we will have what? We'll have peace with one another. Just like how the Beatitudes calls us to be peacemakers. It's not that people won't hate us. Look, Jesus had the love of heaven abiding in his heart. There was no other love deeper than that, that agape love, that love that had no limit, but yet he was hated. There were people on earth that hated him and tried his very best, their very best to kill him. And they did. They succeeded. They put him on the cross. But yet it wasn't that Jesus hated them. They hated him. He didn't have any hatred in his heart for anybody. He had the peace of heaven resting in his heart and his life. And this peace, it was heaven born. You know, in, in, in John chapter 14 and verse 27, the Bible says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus, he had the peace of heaven wherever he went. Even in the midst of that judgment hall as he was standing there and, and satanic voices were, were crying out to crucify him, even Pilate looked upon the countenance of Jesus and could say, wow, this man is innocent. He knew something was up, but even though, you know, even though he saw that, he was afraid of the people and still didn't let Jesus go. But he could see on the countenance of Christ, even the midst of all the trouble, Jesus was innocent because no one ever looked as innocent as Christ, not a taint of sin. And so this peace of heaven is heaven born, only given by God himself. And God, he desires to give us that peace. Did you know that? It is seen in how we live our lives. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to run around like we have no hope. No matter the trial that comes upon us, friends, we can know that, that God is with us. You know, in Isaiah chapter, chapter 26 and verse 3, the Bible says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind, whose what? Do you see that? The mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. You know, friends, the fact that we can be kept in perfect peace is such a needful thing in our times that we're living in. So many troubles on all sides. And whether that's personally the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one or the loss, loss of health, or in a public sphere where you see inflation rising and you're worried about finances or you see nations wanting to go to war with each other or you know there are so many different things from global warming right there there are so many troubles on every side friends but yet the bible says god says jesus says that we can have this peace uh, that that no matter what trial or tribulations that come upon us we can get through it with peace in our hearts we can have peace above the storm so remember Having salt in ourselves is to have peace with each other. So relationships 
that tend to get fractured by what we say sometimes. Foolish words that come out of our mouths that we, we just weren't thinking or, or we were thinking and we said things on purpose to hurt people. You know, saying things at the wrong time or in the wrong way or even the, the wrong tone or sometimes just giving the person a wrong look, right? You know, we need the peace of God to even ask for forgiveness when we have done things wrong. To have the courage to go up to someone and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, right? Text that we find in Romans 12, it becomes so foreign to us. Look at this, Romans 12, 18 to 21. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, friends, how can we actually overcome evil with good? How is it possible? How can we, as far as much lieth in us, live peaceably with all men? You know, this is really the conundrum that we came to at the end of the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, right? How can we rejoice and be exceeding glad when people are saying all sorts of manner of false and evil things against us? How is it possible? Yes, we saw there the steps the, in the Beatitudes, but here we need a born-again experience. The renewing of our mind by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not the magnitude of the trial that comes upon us that actually derails our life, you know. It's, it's not that, oh, this, this trial is so big, no man has ever faced a trial like this before. It's not about, you know, how much, how, how big and how bad and whatever happened to us. It's not the magnitude of the trial that we go through. It is our connection with God and how strong that connection is that will give us the strength give us the peace, give us the love to draw from, to help us to overcome whatever situation or trial that we're going through in our lives. You see, friends, there's nothing too big for God. There's nothing. Sin is not too big for Him. He can forgive. There's no trial that He can't overcome. When, when the children of Israel, a million strong in the desert, were all hungry, that wasn't too difficult for Him. He just rained food down from heaven, right? He can help us overcome, and He's promised this to us. You see, in, first, uh, in Philippians pardon me, 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.13, There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Look at this promise. He will not allow us to suffer beyond what we are, beyond, uh, He will not suffer you to be tempted above all that you're able. He will not allow us to go through something that we cannot take, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And you know, when we go through these types of trials, and we falter at the, the trial or the temptation or the, the problem or the stress that comes upon us, and, and we break and we, we end up disobeying God or we end up sinning, it's not that God has given us a trial that we cannot handle. The promise is there. Look at this. He says He will not suffer us to be tempted above that we are able. But the reason why we're not able is because many times Christ is not with us. He's not there strengthening us because we fail to spend time in His Word. 
We fail to take time to pray, to ask for His Holy Spirit, to ask for help. Too often we allow the trial to come and, and, and we get confused and upset and so many turmoils that are going on in our heart and our mind, right? And then we let go of Christ. And it's then that we fail. But He's not given us such a trial that we cannot handle. No. It's because we have walked away from Him that we lose our source of strength, of joy, of love, of peace, the strength of character, just like Christ's, that could overcome anything. Look also at Romans 8.37. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Friends, all you have to do is just look at all these promises in the Bible. We can do all things through Christ. We can become more than conquerors. God will never allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able to handle. So why does it seem like there are some trials that are just too great for any human to carry? It's because we've not gone to the source of wisdom, the source of strength. We've not gone to Him who can give us all the power on this earth to overcome any trial and give us peace to sustain our souls in the midst of turmoil and conflict. You see, friends, no matter the trial, no matter the circumstance, we can still be a blessing. We can still be the salt of the earth if Jesus is right there with us in our hearts. But look at what else it means to be the salt of the earth, friends. Not just to have peace with one another, but look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man, you see that, friends? If we are to be the salt of the earth, our words must be seasoned with grace. We must know how to speak, how to talk. It must always have the grace of Christ. What does that mean? It should always point people to Jesus. How we speak is always a display of what's going on in our hearts, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is the window to our hearts and our souls, not just our actions, but how we speak, right? People will know whether we're a Christian or not. They'll know whether we're of the world or not. You know, Peter, when he denied Christ with cursing and swearing, he was not being the salt of the earth. Balaam, when he tried to curse the children of Israel, he was not being the salt of the earth. Is our speech really that important? Of course. I mean, just look at what James says about our, our tongue. In James 5, uh, pardon me, 3, 5 to 6, the Bible says, Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Friends, from gossiping to lying to evil speaking, our tongue has the ability to set the whole of hell and even the world on fire. Of course, that's just a figure of speech, but wow, the tongue really is something so small that can change the course and direction of our whole life. But you know, just by how we speak, we can see whether Christ is with us or not. And if Christ is in our hearts, that part of our life will change as well. You know, Peter, he went from a life of cursing to being a great preacher 
to the extent that 3,000 would get baptized in one day because of his amazing sermon through which God worked mightily. John and James are sons of thunder. You know, there was a day that they were walking by this village of Samaria and they didn't respect Jesus. They didn't come out and greet him and let him stay there. And James and John said, do you want us to call fire down from heaven? Oh, yes, we'll burn them just like how Sodom was burned, right? And they didn't know what, they, what spirit was in them. It was not the spirit of Christ, but they would go from that to John. Look at John, the beloved disciple, the man whom Jesus loved, meek. And to the end that he would write the book of Revelation and, and John and the gospel there and how God changed his character. You can see through those words that he wrote down how much a blessing he was to the whole world. So we can know, friends, if we are the salt of the earth by what we say, by what comes out of our mouth. Friends, this is what it means to be a living sacrifice, to be holy and acceptable to God. This is what it means to have a life that is not conformed to the world. There has to be that distinction in our lives and how we talk. Yes, how we dress, our, 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 even the, the food that we, we, we consume. You know, there must be this distinction in our lives. Look at Christ. He knew what it meant to be the salt of the earth, to be a blessing. And not just you got to do all these things in order to be saved, but so that we can be that good influence. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, we're instructed, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Friends, everything that Christ did was motivated by his love for God and his love for each and every one of us. His life was a life that was marked with sacrifice. And then at the end, he paid the ultimate sacrifice by dying on the cross for each and every one of us. And you know, if we are to be the salt of the earth today, we must learn to love God with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves. We need His love burning in our hearts. Then sacrifice for others. Sacrifice for the cause of God. That will come. All these things that we talk about, a change of tongue, the change of a habit and conduct of life, learning to live peaceably with everybody, all that will come if we allow God to live in us, if we allow His Word to rest in us. But so few of us, we, we make progress in the divine life so slowly or rarely at all because not, we're not spending time in the very book that will change and transform us. We won't sacrifice. It will be a torture. It will be horrible because we don't love the God that we should be sacrificing for. And so many of us, dare I say, would even go to church unwillingly, you know? It came to this point, even maybe in the pandemic, many people are saying, oh, I can worship from home, right? Why, why do I need to worship God together in the church? Ah, I'm just risk getting COVID. But do we really love God that much? Not to say they've got to risk your life. Look, if you've got health complications, I understand, but we're willing to go out and, and work and study and play. But yet when it comes to church, no, 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 this one's optional. Everything else we, I, I got to do. No, you don't. You don't have to go to work. You don't have to study. Oh, but I have to. What are you talking about, Ben? But don't we have to worship God? Isn't that our priority? Isn't He our priority today? Isn't His Word and His work 
Our priority, shouldn't it be, right? If we allow Christ to dwell in our hearts, friends, the sacrifice will come. Just as our love for our spouse or our children motivate us to sacrifice for them, so God is calling us to love Him today with all our hearts and to sacrifice for Him also. That will come, but it must not be the first. He's calling each of us, friends, today to be salt of the earth, to be a Christian in life and in character, to be a Christian through our words and also through our actions. But in order for that to happen, we must have the love of God dwelling in our hearts by faith today. And then, and only then, we can become a savior of life to all around us. Friends, what is your influence today? I want you to consider that because many of us, we're not a good influence. And it's not because you're a bad person. We're all inherently bad, thanks to Adam, right? We have sin dwelling in our hearts. We're born with a bent and a, a, a desire for evil and wickedness. You don't need to teach a kid anything bad. They, they, they'll learn it. Yes, they'll see it. And if they don't see it, it's just they'll become selfish in their hearts. They, they won't want to share their toys. You know, they're just like that. We've got to teach them to be good. But in order to teach them to be good, we've got to teach them about Jesus. So it's not just, oh, don't do this again. But no, friends, we've got to teach our children how to pray for the Holy Spirit. We've got to teach our children to memorize His Word. We've got to teach ourselves to pray for the Holy Spirit today, to take time to spend in His Word today. This is the only way that we can be salt of the earth. Friends, may God bless each and every one of you May we find that time today to spend with Him that truly the influence, no matter who is in front of us, we don't have to be afraid because Jesus is with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, today you have been waiting for all of us, waiting for us to surrender our lives to you, waiting to be willing to give you a chance to change us, to transform us, But Lord, it takes a certain decision in our heart on our behalf as well and a certain level of effort to just come and read your word, to store the rich treasures of your word in our hearts. That as as we do that, Lord, I know that through your Holy Spirit abiding in our hearts, you will give us a born-again experience. You will transform us. You'll change us. you create a new creature in Christ Jesus. One that is after holiness and righteousness and goodness and all the wonderful things of your character. You're willing to give it to us. But Father, please help us to take that time because so often we find it so difficult just to sit down and open your word. Please, Lord, help us to see that we got to do a better job of spending more time with you. Lord, we've just gotten so busy with the world. Please help us today to pause. Help us to rest. Rest from our works. Rest from those things of the world that we might see Jesus today and then carry that blessing from the Sabbath into the new week that we might have Christ abiding in us each and every day. Lord, please continue to strive with us. Continue to persevere with us. Continue to be patient and merciful to us until we have the character of Christ reproduced in our hearts. Thank you, O Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
God bless you, friends. Thanks for spending time with us this evening. May we dig deeper into His Word on this Sabbath, that truly His character might become ours. His burden might become ours. His desires might become ours. May all of you have a blessed Sabbath and have a good evening until we see each other again. God bless and goodbye.